Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of October 13th. New year, new range. I'm your host, Dan Creter, here with Dan Belton. As we discuss the driving factors behind the recent move wider in credit spreads and whether or not they're going to precipitate a new trading range for credit in the new year. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Okay, Dan, it's been two weeks since our last Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads episode. We had a monthly roundtable with the whole team last week. So why don't you get us caught up on the path of credit in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, so it's been kind of a round trip in credit since about the middle of September. We actually retested cyclical lows on September 27th, which were just in line with the tights that we saw at the end of June. And since then, we've widened back out about five basis points. And during this past widening in the last two and a half weeks or so, we've witnessed a deterioration in some of the metrics of demand that we might talk about later in the podcast. But the tone in credit seems to have shifted from one that was pretty range-bound and generally constructive, which we've seen most of this year, to one that's a little bit more pessimistic. And anecdotally, we've heard evidence of investors you know, reducing positions and waiting for better levels or entry points in the new year. Yeah, Dan, I agree. The tone has definitely felt a lot worse, but it's important just to sort of reset ourselves and remind ourselves we're still only six basis points off the lows in credit for the entire cycle. So even though we have seen some deterioration in risk metric, risk tones, whatever you want to call it, we're still quite narrow. And I think the question has to become, are we going to see credit continue to move wider or is this just a bit of a blip on the screen and we're going to go back to narrowing? I mean, our target for the midpoint of Q4 was to reach 75 basis points on the broad IG index. We haven't gotten there, and I'm, I'm really starting to think that we may not. I'm starting to think the lows might be in. Yeah, I think it's possible that we do have another bout of credit spread narrowing. But I agree. My conviction behind that is definitely waning over the past few weeks. And I think the environment is just getting more and more challenging as we get closer and closer into year end. Credit investors have generally seen positive returns this year. And I think there's definitely some sense of protecting these profits rather than reinitiating new positions. So I think we're probably going to bounce around in these ranges here. It's possible we see some more narrowing. But then again, we could see credit continue to drift a little bit wider into year end. Yeah, there's certainly something to the point you make about reduced activity, putting some modest upward pressure on spreads. The question, I guess, becomes, is this just a preview for a a new range in spreads or a bit of a technical soft patch? And I think that's what we should focus on here today and look at four broad risk factors facing credit that could indicate that the move in credit is more the beginning of a reset wider than a technical soft patch. And we'll talk about the four, but I think where we have to start is what's really driven the market narrative for the past couple of weeks, and that is the return of inflation fears. Now, our listeners will know that we have, for the past couple of months, really considered inflation the largest threat to credit spreads. And with inflationary fears now once again in the spotlight of the market's attention, it's no surprise to me to see credit spreads softening a bit, and I think it will continue. And that's mainly because we're not going to have clarity on inflation. We got a print this morning. It was slightly above economist expectations. 
But we're going to need a lot more data points on inflation to really know whether, I mean, we saw the Fed walk back its transitory language a little bit, but we're going to need a few more data points to know whether or not inflation is going to be more concerning and more sustainable than the market currently projects. And that's to say nothing of the potential for stagflation when you look at two disappointing NFP reports in a row. Yeah, Dan, with respect to stagflation, I'll point out that the um, Atlanta Fed's GDP now measure has quarter over quarter annualized GDP for the third quarter at just 1.3%. So that would be a really disappointing number after we had a lot of expectations for very strong growth coming out of the pandemic. Of course, there's reason to think that wouldn't be sustained. We had the Delta variant occupy most of the third quarter and, and really weigh on growth. So I think there's reason to expect that that could be just a blip on the radar and we could see stronger growth in future quarters. But nonetheless, those stagflation fears are not without merit, I think, just given the recent sluggishness in the economic numbers. And we don't have to spend too much time here. I mean, we're not going to offer anyone groundbreaking views on stagflation. That's more of the territory of economists. But I think for credit spreads, there's two main takeaways. The first is stagflation represents what I consider to be certainly a worst case scenario for corporate profitability, where you have rising input costs, rising employee costs for corporations that are unable to pass those costs along to a consumer. That weakness is going to be absorbed by corporate bottom lines. And then you have the potential for a renewal of a downgrade slash default cycle if stagflation is sustained. Secondly, whether or not we have stagflation, inflation, whatever you want to say, we're not going to know that for a period of multiple months, which says to me these stagflationary slash inflationary concerns are going to act as a sort of perpetual weight on credit over the next few months until there is more clarity on the inflation front. And then we can turn to some of the other risk factors currently facing credit. And a second one here that's highly related to inflation is the potential for a more hawkish Fed. Yeah, so it's been well telegraphed, I think, that a tapering announcement is likely to come at the November FOMC meeting. And this comes after even a pretty disappointing non-farm payrolls report that we had for September. But I think more importantly for credit spreads, there's now a growing expectation that the Fed is going to have to move to raise rates more quickly than it would otherwise like, just given these price pressures and given the Fed's credibility that it perceives to be at stake with respect to its inflation target. The Fed has mentioned that its inflation mandate has been met and it's waiting for its employment mandate to be achieved. But given the continued upward pressure on inflation, it's possible that the Fed is going to have to move to raise rates only a few months after its tapering has ended. I think that's a lot sooner than it would have otherwise liked to, given the likely trajectory of growth and employment. And just to add on to that point, Dan, I think we have to think about also another sort of lurking headwind for credit in the long term. And that is, you know, the quote unquote zombie corporations or corporations that exist only by continually refinancing debt. Going into the pandemic, it was as high as one in seven U.S. corporations. It's certainly higher than that now. We don't have to spend time talking about what the exact number is. It's just suffice it to say, there are a lot of corporations like this that may not be able to continually roll debt if the Fed is going to be more hawkish than they have in previous years and sort of tamp down borrowing costs at any time we see financial conditions starting to tighten a little bit. So that's going to be another change in comparison to years past that could put more upward pressure on credit spreads. And then moving on to the third factor, which is again related here, is just the changing outlook for fiscal policy. And here we're not only referring to the expiration of special COVID assistance programs, forbearance, eviction moratoriums, stimulus payments, things like that, which are certainly going to be a large headwind when you look at net government spending between this year and next. But there's also 
even just this democratic package that we've talked about for months now that was going to be potentially three and a half trillion plus another maybe trillion, that's looking much smaller now. And the Democrats have already walked back three and a half trillion. It's not in their plans anymore. We're going to pass something, probably something closer to two trillion, maybe a bit more than that. And that's significantly less than what we were expecting before. So we're just going to see a pretty large fiscal drop-off as well. And the effects of this are really unknown. When you have unprecedented support from the fiscal government, I mean, even just a microcosm example was the unemployment benefits. We thought for a long time that the unemployment benefits were keeping the participation rate artificially low. And now we've seen unemployment benefits expire, and there hasn't yet been a real measurable increase in what seems to be labor supply. Obviously, the jury is still out, but the immediate returns have not been great. So it's just very nebulous what really is the impact of all this fiscal spending we have and how much is the impact going to be as they roll off. And Dan, just to put a quick number on that, the impact of government spending on GDP really filled the hole that we felt during the peak of the pandemic. But much in the same way that base effects have played a role earlier this year in inflation, Base effects with respect to government spending are going to really weigh on GDP. So the Brookings Institute estimated that fiscal policy reduced GDP growth by 2.8 percentage points in the second quarter of this year. And that negative impact, even with the continued expansionary fiscal policies that the government's pushing through right now, it's going to continue to weigh on GDP growth by about two to three percentage points each quarter for the next year. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Dan. Definitely something to look out for. And then A fourth factor we have highlighted here is just a technical picture in the IG corporate market. And by this, I really want to highlight something we may have talked about in previous episodes, but it's worth repeating if we have, and that's the divergence between net and gross issuance in the market this year. Yeah, Dan, so most of our listeners and regular readers know that gross high-grade corporate supply this year has come at nearly a record pace. So with the exception of 2020, gross issuance at this point in the year is 11% heavier than the previous record year. But net issuance actually tells a pretty different story. So the IG index has grown at an annualized rate of 7.7% year to date through the first three quarters of the year. And that's down from a post-financial crisis average of 10.6%. The growth in total debt outstanding, including high yield and other forms of corporate financing, is similarly below longer term trends this year. And so this really goes to show how active corporations have been in liability management and refinancing debt and buying back existing debt with higher coupons and also moving away from traditional forms of financing like bank loans and into corporate debt markets due to the more advantageous financing costs. But it also sheds light on how despite the heavy gross issuance, technicals have actually not been such a headwind this year, and they're likely to turn less supportive next year as net issuance is likely set to increase. I mean, that's an historical pattern we've observed looking back at corporate issuance throughout economic cycles. We typically observe a crisis period or a recession, whatever you want to call it. You obviously see debt issuance increase significantly to weather the economic storm or whatever stress is causing the recession. And then immediately following the recession, we see a period of deleveraging where issuance falls and corporations undergo balance sheet maintenance to get the ratios back in line and return to a quote-unquote normal or healthy operating state. And then as the economic expansion period that follows begins to grow, we see investment, we see M&A, we see CapEx, which is typically done with new net borrowing, not liability management, issuance just to restructure debt outstanding, new debt. And if that pattern holds, and we see no reason to think that it would not, we should see net issuance grow next year. So even if gross issuance in the corporate sector falls next year, that's definitely a possibility. We haven't put together a formal projections yet. But 
if gross issuance does fall or even stay steady, we should see net supply grow. And to your point, Dan, that is the more important determinant for the impact on spreads, really. What is the new supply that the market has to take down? And we should see that growing in 2022, putting potentially upward pressure on credit spreads. So sort of bringing it all together, we've highlighted four pretty important risk factors facing credit markets right now, and that's to say nothing for the perpetual risk of something bad happening on the COVID front or some external shock that sends spreads wider, all sort of point in the same direction, that we should be seeing widening on credit spreads. The lows are likely in for the year. And now the question becomes, what kind of a range are we looking for for 2022? Because if we look at 2021, year to date, the peak to trough range in credit from the high to the low, is just 20 basis points. Looking back over the past 20 years, really since daily publication of index spreads began in 2002, that's the second lowest year. Only 2006 had a narrower range of 12 basis points for the entire year. So we've been in a very narrow range in credit all year. And now we have to try to think about what is the range going to look like next year? Yes, yeah, so Dan, in normal year, if we looked at the median over the past 20 years, that range is generally about 60 to 65 basis points. We've had many years where the range is significantly narrower than then. You mentioned 2006. We've also had, obviously, many years where the range is much wider, and that's harder to predict when the range is going to be you know, in the 200-plus basis point neighborhood. So if we exclude those years of 2007 to 2009 and 2020 when spreads really blew out and exhibited a range of 200 or more basis points, the average over the past 20 years is just around 58 basis points. And the inclusive average, including all years, is 110. So we obviously have that right tail skewness in the distribution of credit spread ranges. Right. I'm with you. I'm inclined to ignore 08, 09, and 2020, just given you know the quote-unquote black swan nature of those years. So let's focus on the average range in credit spreads, excluding those years. You said it was 58 basis points. The median over those same years is a very similar 54 basis points. So putting that into context with this year, Clearly, 20 basis points is an outlier here. And now if we look back at each individual year, I think you can start to see a bit of a pattern emerge here. Because if we look at the years where there was a less than average move, okay, so less than the 54 basis point median move, excluding the crisis years. Those years were 2004, 2005, 2006, okay, so late cycle leading into the financial crisis, reach for yield, feds on their famous 25 basis point per meeting hiking campaign, you know, flattening curve, yield enhancement, blah, blah, blah. Then a similar pattern, 2013, 2014, 2015. You can say almost the exact same thing about those years when you're comparing to 04, 05, 06. Sure, the Fed wasn't raising rates then, but it was a very low volatility period, typified by very low rates, typically a flatter curve, and monetary accommodation being removed. It wasn't in the form of hiking rates, but it was end of QE, things of that nature. So those six years account for six of the seven years. The only other one is 2017, where we had a a lower than average move. And those years all have that in common, the removal of monetary policy and like a very stable environment. I don't think we're there yet now. I think 2020 is going to stand out as a sort of outlier. And and you can specifically even zoom in here on 2010, which was immediately following the financial crisis. We saw just a 58 basis point move. So that was higher than average, but it was right on average. It wasn't outsized. But that's following, you know, hundreds of basis points in 08, hundreds in 09. And then again, 2011 and 12 were big moves as the European debt crisis descended. Now, we could interpret that as saying, okay, so 
after the financial crisis, we have a big influx of fiscal support, monetary support, and 2010 is a relatively stable year with credit spreads not really moving that much. And then as that support is removed, like we're seeing, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, fiscal stimulus being removed, monetary stimulus being removed, what happens? 2011, 2012, we see problems start to arise. In this case, it was the European debt crisis. But what could it be this time? What problems are going to come to the surface as the support is removed from the economy? It may not, but I'm not a buyer of that argument. I think we're going to see weak patches emerge as unprecedented stimulus is removed from the economy, and it's going to send spreads wider in 2022. We're going to see a wider range with new highs that we didn't reach in 2021. The question for me is, first of all, what is that new range going to look like? Because I think we have had a regime shift in credit with the Fed responding significantly to any external stress on the economy. We've seen likely a fundamental narrowing in credit spreads over the past few years. So I don't think a 58 basis point move now is the same as it was back then, arguably. But what is that new range going to be? I think it's not going to be 20 basis points. And the second question is, when is this going to happen? So maybe to wrap up the podcast, Dan, we can take a stab at both of these questions here. So I'll ask you, what do you think would be a reasonable estimate for a new quote-unquote range for credit in 2022? Dan, just to go back, I think you did a good job of highlighting the two-sided risks to the range in credit. On one hand, we could have some exogenous shock like what we saw not just in 2007, 2009, and 2020, but something like the European debt crisis or the emerging market weakness that we saw in 2016, which led to a higher range. But I think even barring one of those shocks that's not really easy to predict, we are likely to just see a wider range, just given the return of some amount of volatility that was really lacking from the market most of 2021, when we saw equity prices spend most of the year rising without much of a reprieve in the continued rally in risk assets. So I'm looking for a range in credit in 2022 of something in the realm of 40 to 50 basis points, pretty low by historical standards, below the median of 60 or 65 basis points over the past 20 years. But I'm attributing that to just a lower spread environment that we're in. I think a 40 basis point range is not the same as it used to be, given that spreads are now at 85 basis points. Okay. So I think that a 40 basis point range in credit, let's say, I think that's a reasonable estimation. I think that's in line with the historical figures. But if we combine this with the conversation we had earlier in the podcast, that the low end spreads are probably in here at these levels, 80 basis points or 85 where we are right now. If we're going to have a 40 basis point range in credit, that necessarily means we're going to have a 35 basis point backup at some point. Do you agree with that? No, not necessarily. I think it's possible that we you know, have some transitory narrowing from here, whether that's at the beginning of next year or at some point later on next year. I don't think that the absolute lows are in here, and I don't think that the range from this point is exclusively to the upside. I think it's probably – I think the midpoint of the range for next year is probably wider than it is right now, but I wouldn't say that the range is exclusively up from here. Yeah, it's not going to be a straight line, and we diverge a little bit in our views here, but I think – we are in line for a repricing in credit that's going to be potentially a little bit disorderly. I mean, you look at the path of credit spreads over the past couple of years, that's the pattern they do, or that's the pattern they exhibit. When there's a widening, it happens fairly rapidly, and then you see a grind narrower. And so I think we could be in line for a fairly rapid repricing to a new range in credit, you know, around Q1. On the back of the risk factors we talked about for the majority of the early part of this podcast, monetary and fiscal support waning, 
inflationary concerns, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to go over them again. But I, I think we could be in line for a move like that in Q1. So I'd be looking to position for that towards the end of the year here, taking profits. Because I think you're right. We're going to be range bound for a while here. I think there's still a push-pull, and there's definitely still a component of yield grab here, even maybe, say, the word complacency. And we're going to see some narrowing. I just want to view that as an opportunity to take profits and sell into strength of what could be not a huge move wider in credit, not calling for anything outsized, but the potential for a 25, maybe even 30 basis point move higher in credit in the span of a month or two. I know we haven't had that in a long time outside of 2020, but end of 2018 wasn't that long ago. And we saw an almost 50 basis point repricing in just a month. And there wasn't really a ton to attribute that to. There were some concerns over the degradation of credit quality index, trade war stuff, but it wasn't like a panic and we still got a 50 beat move. I just want to say that is still possible here. And I'm not saying we'll get 50, but 2530 wouldn't shock me in Q1 of 2022. Yeah, I agree. I think it's easy to become complacent given the persistence of the rally in risk assets we've had really over the past 18 months. But it's important to keep that in mind that you know, 50 basis point backup is certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Anything else, Dan? No, I think that'll do it. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll be back here next week. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. 
This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 